This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Fellowship Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life in Emergency Medicine. And it's Editor-in-Chief celebrating the 17th anniversary of the day when I was her senior resident, Dr. Michelle Lynn from UCSF. What? Has it really been that long? I look back on those days fondly. I'm really excited to this episode, by the way, because this is these are our peeps. This is like the tech, nerdy, ultrasound group. I love it. And speaking of nerdy, I'm I'm looking at your whiteboard behind you. You got all these little checklists. That's pretty nerdy. I love it. There's a lot going on in this office and in this head, Michelle. Um, Yeah, no, I just totally dated us. I mean, maybe I've said in public before that I was Michelle's senior resident. Maybe <laughs> it at was my some first point. day, first day out first of residency. Day. I'm like, who is this guy? It's could have gone in either guy. direction, that career could have gone in either direction. <laughs> All right, we have a special episode for you guys today entitled Fellowship Match Update Ultrasound Tox and EMS enter the national residency matching program they enter the match and to offer their sage advice on matching to one of these fellowship programs through the formal match process we have three outstanding ultrasound fellowship directors with us today dr jeremy boyd making a return appearance to fellowship match advice from vanderbilt university hi dr boyd good to be here thanks man Dr. Matt Fields from Kaiser Permanente Medical Center in San Diego. Hi, Matt. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. And Dr. Arthur Au from Thomas Jefferson University. Thanks for joining us, Arthur. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. All right. Let's get started with our first panelist, Dr. Boyd from Vanderbilt University. And what I'd like to to understand is just an overview of this radically new match process for um, ultrasound. I know you guys had your own sort of special gentle person's agreement with crazy phone calls and things. And now it's all been unoffended by the NRMP. So tell us all about it. Actually, so I'm going to start by hopefully correcting or at least saying it's actually not that revolutionary. It shouldn't be. This actually, for many intents and purposes, should be just kind of business as usual. But the evolution of the ultrasound specialty, you're right. We used to have this match offer date, which kind of mimics the history of the main residency match with residency programs, where basically no one could make a formal offer of basically ultrasound fellowship position until a given date and time. The problem is the logistics of that got very complicated as the specialty grew. So we had multiple calls going into residents and and, and applicants to fellowships that all happened at the exact same time on a certain day. And then each resident had a certain amount of time where they had to reply. But what happened if maybe their first ranked program, the program they wanted to go to most, wasn't the first one to reach them? And then they had to kind of do the, hey, can I call you back? Or can you just hold for a little bit? And it got a little awkward for a lot of people. And it was certainly stressful for applicants. It was definitely stressful for fellowship program directors making those calls. So our hope is that as overall ultrasound fellowships have kind of grown and developed, that this whole process is going to be a lot more streamlined. And it's going to help to prevent some of the complications that sometimes happen when, unfortunately, there are a couple of people every year who don't honor their agreement to stick around and do fellowship or, or there's also fellowship programs who have gone and, you know, we just want to kind of keep everything on the up and up. 
have a high level of transparency and simplify it as much as we can without adding too much chaos to the already chaotic process as it feels. Yeah, you make a very good argument for why you should enter the formal match. And, you know, I think about the students or residents who are going to be listening to this like three or four years from now. And they're going to be like, what are these crazy people talking about phone calls and, you know, at nonsense and gamesmanship and all of that, you know, will be old history. So we'll, let's talk about what's, what's to come. What's the new reality. So it's NRMP match. What's the timeline? What's the application process? Great. So the application process has stayed the same. So applicants, there's, for a long time, we've had the website eusfellowships.com. And so the applicants who are watching this, you've already gone through residency programs. You know that there's ERAS where you did your whole application. That's where programs got to read about you and kind of choose who they were going to interview. So EUS fellowships are also, it's now the SCUF, Society for Clinical Ultrasound Fellowships website. Great. Now serves as the application service for all fellowships. And that's been the case for years. What's changed this year is that people now have to register for the NRMP at some point here. It's actually already active. And and then in September, I believe September 16th, um, people can start entering their rank list. Interviews happen through SCUF and through all that interaction. The only thing that really happens through the NRMP is you submit your rank list and programs submit their rank list. And then the supercomputer in the sky or the cloud that is the NRMP makes it all happen uh, to get the best possible outcome for the match. Timeline-wise, we've got some really important dates. So August 22nd, the match actually officially opened. Um, so that's that's already happened. So programs have already kind of activated that. That's really more on the program side. For applicants, um, they can start submitting their rank list on September 26th. And then the last and most important date, and I love this, this works out perfectly, is Halloween. So October 31st is the rank list deadline for both programs and applicants. So that means that by the time you're ready to go out trick-or-treating on Halloween, you better have your rank list submitted. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to participate in the match. So, And then, of course, November 14th is match day at high noon Eastern time. Everybody will find out through the match software, basically by logging in where they've matched. And you said November 14th. What day of the week is that? That I didn't know this when I looked up on my phone. I believe it's It's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. Wednesday, November 14th. That's our, that's good. It's conference day for most residents. We can celebrate a conference day. That's awesome. Um, And I like that you acknowledge that Halloween is um, a high holiday for everyone. Absolutely. In our house. Absolutely. I I request it often every year. It's funny. I request to work it actually every night on Halloween. It has the most amazing stories year round. We talk about it. That one. Well, it is. That's San Francisco. For sure. I was going to say that sounds very San Francisco. It's fantastic. Hey, so for those of you guys who don't remember all those dates offhand, I did quick Google it and on the NRMP.org here, are all those dates on there. This is for 2018, by the way, I'm assuming these dates change from year to year, Absolutely. but these are the dates for 2018 to keep a lookout. We'll put the link up on the site. So, and just to clarify, you're registering for the NRMP, but there is no ARIS application. Your application is done outside of that process. Um, we don't have to have that PTSD for our residents who are applying to ultrasound. Amen, 100%. There is no ERAS program that's relevant for the Clinical Ultrasound Fellowship. So Clinical Ultrasound Fellowship applicants, they can think of the SCUF website, the SCUF application 
as their analogous thing, but it's way easier. And basically, it's one big website, has a lot of information about the organization that kind of grew out of us starting these fellowship programs and wanting to provide a centralized place where everyone can look at programs and kind of see what sets them apart, what kind of setup they have, how many machines, what the fellowship looks like, what the salary looks like, and potential benefits. They can look at all of that, and then they can just simply, once they've submitted, they upload their documents, they click on the programs they want to apply to, and they're done. All right. And this is the same process. I mean, obviously not with Scuff, but the rest of it, same process for uh, in timeline for talks and for EMS. Correct. I'll, they don't use the Scuff website to do the sort of Obviously. central application, but EMS and talks, those dates are the same. So Halloween is going to be a big time for emergency medicine fellowship applicants, I think. As it always and is. It should be. Always, yeah. You may be seeing a few of your residents, Michelle. Oh, well, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that, that's awesome. That's a great. Uh, yes. Michelle. I have a question. I apologize for not having seen the site yet. And what I do like about the the ARIS application is that you can actually customize an application to a particular program a little bit mm. and in terms of the wording. I know it sounds like you have a one-to-many type process on the SCUF site, but can you customize your applications per program? I haven't double-checked since I did it, but I'm pretty sure you can because I've definitely in the past three years read applications that were specifically like someone talked about country boots and Western wear, which really doesn't work in a lot of other places other than Nashville. Um, so, I mean, unless that's really how they want to be perceived in their other letters, you know, or personal statements, I'm pretty sure you can customize it. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty right. sure you can. Okay, cool. There's barbecue all over this country. It just, it varies in quality. Absolutely. Yeah, right. We can agree. All right. Let's, uh, that was a great overview. Thank you, Jeremy. So we're going to switch gears and, and speak specifically to ultrasound. We're going to, we're going to leave, um, perhaps our talks and EMS folks to, uh, end the podcast right now. All right. The ultrasound folks will stay with us. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about, um, the maturation or the professionalization of the, the field of, um, emergency ultrasound. And, uh, we've got an expert on the panel to, to do that. Matt, uh, Dr. Fields is the immediate past chair of the emergency ultrasound section for ASAP and certainly is very well versed in um, where ultrasound is heading and and why um, it is not becoming a subspecialty the way the rest of the House of Medicine views subspecialties, but has another pathway. So, uh, Matt, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what's been going on on the national level for ultrasound. Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's a great question. So, it, I think it's really no coincidence that the match process is coming around when it has in the kind of formalization of that matching process, because right now ultrasound has been at a crossroads in going from a very informal kind of specialty to a more formalized specialty. You know, really for the last 20, 30 years, ultrasound has really been evolving. And that's just thanks to emergency medicine and everybody, all the pioneers that uh, realized how great ultrasound was, we actually kept discovering new uses for it, new applications, different ways we could use the probe. And so we kept redefining what um, ultrasound training was. Initially, it was looking at aortas, looking for pregnancies, and now we're looking at lungs, and now we're looking at carotid flow and doing fluid responsiveness. So it's just been uh, really cool to, to see that growth and maturation. But you know, initially, it really felt like ultrasound fellowship wasn't as much of a fellowship is more, it almost felt like an apprenticeship 
where you actually kind of seek out a mentor and you say, Hey, can I work with you? And they're like, yeah, you can work with me. And you kind of just work very closely. And it, there wasn't a lot of rules to it. It was just kind of like, you want, you know, are you good? I'm good. Great. We're good. And, um, and that was, that was fine at the time. But then as it started to grow, it became, there were some problems. I mean, Jeremy talks about the issues with the no offer date before the no offer date. It was literally, you go on your interview. And I still recall when I interviewed, um, uh, at the end of the interview day, I was actually just bullied by the director, like um, to take the position right then and there. And I hadn't even finished interviewing everywhere else. And I would, it was very awkward conversation. And then, you know, people, especially if you had your own internal pro the program that you're at, uh, the, the director there trying to bully you, that could be a really big issue for people. So the no offer date first evolved thanks to the development of uh, Society of Clinical Ocean Fellowships and Romulo Gaspari and Pat Hunt, starting that and starting with the no offer date. Um, but then moving on to the match was really where we needed to go to be a legit specialty. At the same time, ultrasound itself as a, a specialty um, has suffered from having a lack of standardization between for what an a graduating ultrasound fellow means what can that fellow do what skill set does he have or she have a parallel to the development of the match process and everything has been this uh, process that has been going on for years to seek acgme level accreditation um, or american board of medical Spe uh, specialties recognition for our specialty and define a set number of standards and definitions for what um, training in uh, emergency ultrasound or actually clinical ultrasound is what we refer to it now means. And so basically ASAP, SEM, um, SCUF, and now even AEM have been all involved with this. And I'm excited to say that ABEM has now put in an application for designation of focus practice or a DFP for emergency ultrasound or clinical ultrasound. And the DFP, and perhaps this is the name change, so it's clinical ultrasound now, does that mean the DFP is open to more than just emergency physicians, I, I would assume so, or is it just for EM? No, actually, so the DFP um, is a brand new concept that ABMS has created. Traditionally, the only way for a fellowship to exist was they now call it subspecialty certification. So that's all your fellowships before now, your toxicology, or like even outside of emergency medicine, cardiology, you know, um, all of those fellowships that exist. But they decided that there was a need to develop a different category, I guess, called the designation of focal pra practice. And that actually only exists within your own specialty. So you can only uh, apply for a DFP within emergency medicine if you're emergency medicine boarded. And so ultrasound would be potentially the first DFP within emergency medicine. Interesting. And are there other DFPs and other specialties that serve an ex as an example, or is this really a brand new concept at the American board? Yeah, um, there are a few. Um, the main ones right now are hospitalist uh, medicine. So there is a hospitalist DFP for internal medicine, and there's a hospitalist DFP for family medicine. And so uh, internal medicine creates the rules and standards for being a hospitalist through their pathway. Um, if you, you know, you've been boarded in internal medicine and you want to become, get the hospitalist DFP. And if you're boarded in family medicine, there's a hospitalist DFP for that. And the DFP yeah. requires you to pass a test or go through a, a certain amount of length of training at a, an accredited program. Tell us a little bit more about the specifics of that. Yeah. So really it's kind of the same. Um, you still have to go through an accredited program and you have to take an exam at the end of your training. The main difference is the body 
that's doing that accreditation. So if you're ACGME accredited, which is that full subspecialty certification, that more traditional model I talked about, um, then ACGM itself is uh, doing the accrediting of the program to all the fellowships out there. And they're the overseers of standardization and making sure that every program out there is um, up to snuff and everything. With the DFP program, uh, ACGME kind of um, contracts with a another organization to do that accreditation. And in the application that ABEN put forward, they actually recommended that uh, the Society of Clinical Sun Fellowships be that accrediting uh, accrediting body. And that way, it's in some ways, it's nice because it actually gives the level of control to an organization most more ties, closely tied with with the programs and, and with ultrasound. So this is fascinating. This is the first DFP for our specialty. I think that's really uh, no surprise that it's coming out of ultrasound with all your your shiny boxes and, <laughs> and applications. So I think that's great. Yeah, we always like to be the first and the newest and, uh, you know, pushing the envelope. So, hey, Matt, can I ask you a question about this DFP thing? Congratulations by on this designation. I feel like ultrasound as a group has really grown up and is really pioneering uh, the future of where other groups may be able to go. But when you have these accrediting levels, uh, it comes with some potential downsides. And is there ability for programs with specific strengths to customize their curriculum? Yeah. Um, well, so Great boots. I don't know how you'd bring that in, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, can we customize it and still get accredited? Definitely. I definitely think there's room to have your own personality as a program and the only things you offer. I mean, prior to all of this, there was a document um, that was put out by ASEP for called the Emergency Ultrasound Fellowship Guidelines that everybody kind of followed. It just there was no enforcement of that. Um, it just is, you know, everybody's kind of the honor system. And now it's just more kind of oversight and making sure that everybody at least gets to that minimum level. Because, I mean, I really hate to say it, but there are probably there, you know, some fellowships out there that I've heard of. I'm not, it's nobody's fellowship on this panel. Um, so we're all good, but, um, uh, that probably didn't meet those standards very well and had a very more laissez-faire kind of fellowship. So we're kind of just eliminating that, but you still have the opportunity to build on those minimum requirements and, um, do cool things like, you know, nerve blocks, TEs and international experiences and stuff like that. And it's not clear yet what exactly the criteria are going to look for. That's all still in development for what is going to be accreditation. So, awesome. but yeah, it sounds I, like this is your first year, right? Doing it in the system. Yeah, it's our first year. And, and definitely one of my concerns was just the personality of ultrasound. I mean, not being accredited kind of gave ultrasound this very more wild, wild west, rougher, kind of cool, cutting edge kind of thing. And now we're being formalized and accredited. Um, and so it kind of feels like institutional a bit and, Ultimately, it's it's for the best, and it's where we really need to go. We can only the wild, wild west, you know, had to, um, you know, eventually go away, and uh, I, I think it's it's ultimately for the better of patient care and the specialty. So um, it's a good thing. Well, you know, Matt, I wanted to hear who bullied you in these interviews, <laughs> and I wanted you to name names, but it seems uh -huh. like you're not that kind of guy. So, Doctor Al from Thomas Jefferson. So. We have um, heard a lot about why the new world order exists and some of the processes around it. Let's talk strategy. That's what fellowship match advice and EM match advice are all about. It's helping applicants put their um, best face forward here. So uh, what advice do you have for applicants given a new match structure? Maybe you could uh, start there. 
Yeah, luckily, I think with the new match structure and uh, being a little bit more formalized with the match, it actually benefits the applicants a good amount. It kind of levels the playing field with what they should expect uh, when they're looking for programs. So there's a much more level playing field. So ultimately, I feel like a lot of applicants are going to be driven by location for where they're looking and what programs they're planning to apply for. And they can really take solace in the fact that there are quality programs pretty much in every corner of the globe these days. So they shouldn't feel bound by their location. They should feel pretty comfortable applying wherever they need to um, try to match. So that's an interesting question. You know, our particular program had to produce a ton of internal paperwork to uh, satisfy the GME office, and I think rightly so, uh, before they would allow us to register for the NRMP. And, you know, it wasn't a huge bar. It was mostly administrative um, rather than uh, experiential portions of the, the curriculum, but I mean, it was still something that we had to do. And, you know, I suspect this DFP accreditation will be similar. Do you expect there to be some calling of the herd? Are there going to be less programs out there because of some of these changes and, and in particular this NRMP change? It's hard to say. I definitely think that uh, emergency ultrasound in general has kind of brought everyone up to a, uh, at least a baseline level. So I think a lot of the kind of rogue programs that had been out there in the past have kind of either willed away already or have kind of brought themselves up to stuff. So I, I really don't think too many people are going to be weeded out at this point. If we actually look at the number of programs this year, it actually looks like there are a few more than there had been in the past. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the numbers? How, how many programs were there last year, this year, number of positions? Um, what does the applicant pool size look like? Yeah. So last year, uh, there are around 70 applicants. There are a little over 100 programs last year. This year, there's closer to 115 or so. And then several programs have multiple positions. So there are a little over 200 positions available. So it's definitely a buyer's market. Wow. That's, I mean, so there's more programs entering a field where there's uh, you know, an ample number of unfilled spots already. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So yeah, buyer's market. Uh, so then this NRMP process should only make it better, really, for the, for the applicants who are out there. Yeah, it's definitely going to streamline the process for them. Luckily, it won't change the interview process too much. I think the interviews are pretty, pretty much going to be similar to the way they were running before. Perhaps the timeline of the interviews may be pushed back a little bit just as programs kind of settle in with the NRNP. But otherwise, yeah, the process definitely for the day of match is going to go a lot smoother. Uh, it's going to be a lot less awkward for both the applicants and for the directors. And the, do you think programs are going to be interviewing more, less? I think it's probably going to be similar. similar. Um, yeah, the biggest, I think, so the timeline's about the same um, as it had been in the past. We may be, have a few less weeks before the match list has to be finalized. So in the past, we went into November for our no offer date. So there's a little bit less time for interviews, but most of the times interviews kind of get snuck in before ASAP anyway. So I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference. Yeah. And an early ASAP may actually help the process this year just to, to have its first year go smoothly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what other just general advice do you have for, for an applicant who wants to show herself or himself to, to be as competitive as possible for one of these um, positions? Yeah. So a lot of the times your CV and your letters are going to speak for themselves. When you show up for your interview, I would definitely be, try to be yourself. Don't try to oversell yourself. Don't try to be someone you're not. 
because directors and programs are going to see through that. And really look for a program that kind of fits your personality. I think that's the biggest thing. We spend so much time with our fellows and uh, with our divisions doing QA and working on projects that if you don't get along with the person that you're trying to match with or the program you're trying to match with, it's not going to go well. Yeah, our section's like a little family. They, they're they hauled away in this tiny conference room. They're constantly looking at images. Right, hiding out uh, in the dark room. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes bring them chocolate. About my... <laughs> as much as I interact with that room. Michelle, what questions do you have as we're sort of closing the, the formal portion of this panel? Yeah, I got a lot of questions. But yeah. the main question I have is, you know, people come up to us with questions advising them like, oh, I'm thinking about an ultrasound fellowship. What do I do? And it sounds like you guys have this amazing website, right? It's at eusfellowships.com. It's got a starter site. It goes from like A to Z. I think this is a great place to start. But my question is, kind of like for the students going into residency, they're like, how many interviews do I need to go into to kind of guarantee me a spot? And we usually recommend, you know, maybe 10 interviews. And based on the historical data, you will get into your, you will get into a program. Do you have such a number to advise your residents going into ultrasound fellowships? Like you got to do at least three or is that really, since it's a buyer's market, is that really not relevant? Yeah, I can um, jump in on that one. I mean, I think it certainly is uh, somewhere between five to 10, then yes, you probably match in a fellowship, but given that the, um, you know, exactly the market of ultrasound fellowships is there is going to be, there are going to be unfilled spots. That being said, there are some programs that are still very competitive, you know, so I often, I often want to hear what programs they're looking at, but whenever I give them that advice, California market's always an interesting thing. New York has got a ton of programs, um, you know, so those are always kind of special cases that are a little bit different. So, you know, obviously, and then I kind of tell them also to reach out to fellowship directors early. I mean, you, you can break down some of the barriers and kind of start conversations earlier, you know, to kind of get a sense of that program. Um, I was kind of saying that fellowships have evolved. You work so much with your fellowship director that being uh, a fit, you know, having the fellowship director be a fit for you and being somebody you can work with is so important. You know, the, the earlier, earlier you kind of recognize that, the better. And it, guys, if I could also add, and this would be like advice for anybody looking at any kind of fellowship within emergency medicine, whether it's EMS, tox, ultrasound, sports medicine, whatever, is if you can go to one of the, like the national conferences, whether it's SAM, ASAP, AAEM, or, or you name it, where there's some kind of interest group or like academy or, or what have you. And if you're able to go as a resident to one of those meetings and just kind of get a sense of like, the flavor of the people there. Um, I think that really helps. And I think I, I know that when I went to one of those academic conferences as like a second year resident, like the spring, I was like, I, I went to the ultrasound group. And I remember like sitting next to a current mentor of mine and like a former mentor. And I was like, these are my people. And I think that's a nice way to really get a sense at a conference where you've kind of got different communities that you can kind of check out and get a sense of kind of what the personalities are of the different specialties that you're looking at. Let's close our discussion of uh, this new match process and learn about some programs. This is your chance to tell us a bit of a free commercial about your fellowship program. And we're going to start with Jeremy, who's already told us about his fellowship program on another episode. So he's going to have to try really hard to tell Michelle and I something we don't know about Vanderbilt's ultrasound program. Okay. All right. So I'm going to try and up from the previous one. So 
still a great program. <laughs> Ultimately, I think Vanderbilt is known for its education. Uh, and I think our ultrasound fellowship continues in that. We've grown our international opportunities within the ultrasound fellowship. We still have a residency program in Guyana. And we've actually had now our first sort of affiliated Guyanese ultrasound fellowship graduate. She'll be graduating from her fellowship coming up in a little bit. We've had a really cool opportunity there to develop some kind of projects, both based out of our shop, but also out of the South American shop in Guyana. And we've kind of grown the group of people who are really focused on doing that. We've also upped our research game. So we're involved in uh, several, about three different national clinical trials, looking at ultrasound in a variety of applications, primarily heart failure and B lines, and also at some sort of health outcomes kind of situation within the VA system. So I think there's We've continued to be a great place for education. It's a collegial collaborative environment. If you like music, not just country music, Nashville's a great town. Uh, it's certainly on the up and up. You can get all kinds of great food and, and, and meet great people. Go to a you know, barber shop and sit next to some famous country music singer, you name it. We have a good time in the department. So I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in checking us out. Yeah, residents, you for sure should check out Dr. Boyd's program. I have to say the reason we're even having today's panel is because he reached out on behalf of all his fellow panelists and wanted to make sure the whole residency community understood the changes to the match. And that, that speaks volumes about his ability to mentor on a, on a more personal level. So check out Vanderbilt's program. And uh, Dr. Fields, you will be uh, our first faculty member from Kaiser San Diego, which is a very, very, very busy Kaiser Hospital um, down in sunny San Diego, the host city of ASEP. So I'm assuming you're going to let everybody come on over and check oh, out yeah. your office and tell us what, something we don't know about Kaiser San Diego. Sure. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, Kaiser San Diego is a pretty cool place. It's got two. We have two hospitals. I would just open up a new one. So combined census of over 100,000 patients. We have plenty of pathology. Uh, we have a fully functioning, you know, three year residency. It's every it's still a young program. Um, just graduated the first residency, the not this past year, but the year before that. Um, so the second class. And then one of the cool things about Kaiser is just one of the largest health systems in the country but um, it doesn't have much academics within it. So therefore, as being in kind of an academic program, you have access to all of these resources that other people don't use. So it's a great place to do research and do fellowship projects and really get a lot done. We also have a you know, fully functioning TEE program. Our fellows work with cardiology to get uh, trained at 20. They do a bunch in the department, do a ton of advanced ultrasound stuff like nerve blocks and everything like that. The group is just awesome. It's just everybody's laid back. Everybody's a lot of fun. We believe in, for our interview days, a totally casual day, no suits. Probably one of the most interesting or fun things about our program is that um, we do a monthly journal club at uh, La Jolla Shores Beach. We, we take some articles. We all hang out. We start off usually... Um, we, we surf or do whatever for an hour or so, hang out, grill, and then we dig into some articles. And uh, if that should be a reason that, you know, they, everybody should come right there. So, but no, it's a very awesome fellowship. All right. Well, you clearly are leading the way for the professionalization of the specialty. <laughs> Everyone on the panel is uh, happy that you covered all of that portion of the question. <laughs> uh, residents, check out Kaiser San Diego. 
Uh, training at Kaiser Hospital is a great thing, so says the vice chair from the Stanford Kaiser program. All right, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Al, take us home. You know, Thomas Jefferson just getting bigger and bigger. Your faculty expanding in all sorts of different ways. There's got to be much wonderful things to share about ultrasound at Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, so ever since we cut the fat and got rid of Matt. That's um, right. I was waiting for that. Able to push him out the door and take over as uh, the fellowship director at Jefferson. Holding you back. I'm sorry. (laughs) Outstanding. Thank you for that. Things have really things have really grown at Jefferson, um, not only in ultrasound, but kind of throughout the department. So we're active in telehealth now. We do a lot of CDU work. We do a lot of design medicine. So just the amount of opportunities, not only within ultrasound, but outside of ultrasound is what really sets us apart. Uh, we actually have 12 ultrasound fellowship trained faculty members. Wow. Uh, and four of our faculty members have actually run ultrasound uh, divisions in the past. So we have a huge amount of knowledge within our division. We have ultrasound faculty that have actually moved out of the ultrasound realm and into health design and into medical education, into wow. global health. Coming to Jefferson, you can really build a niche within ultrasound as we've kind of talked about with the number of applicants and the number of programs out there, when you graduate an ultrasound fellowship, it's really important to be able to separate yourself from everyone else. And I think coming to Jefferson allows you to do that. Gosh, I had no idea you had that many ultrasound trained faculty. I mean, I knew you had design thinking and research and medical education and simulation, but wow, that is a remarkable faculty skill set. And uh, residents, you guys should check out TJU. Michelle, thanks for uh, letting us have this fellowship update. I love it. So much good sagely advice. I feel like this is a no bully era of ultrasound fellowships. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right. No bullying for sure. With that, thanks to our panelists. Good luck in the match this year, you guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Alium's YouTube channel, or if you prefer, listen to the episodes as Alium Podcasts on SoundCloud. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Alium.com and in the publication A User's Guide to the Alium EM Match Advice Series in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on Alium.com. Thanks for joining us.